0: Remembrance is a service and platform that provides accessible yoga and meditation practices for those who are living with chronic illness. Our mission is to uplift this community in order to create connection and remembrance to the mind, body, and spirit. This is Megan Armstrong, and thank you so much for listening. Welcome to the first ever self-remembrance podcast episode. I am so overjoyed and excited to be sharing this new series with you as a part of Self-Remembrance Sundays. But before we go any further, I just want to take a moment for us to ground in the present moment and in the body. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, just take a pause for a moment and move your body. So make any adjustments, take a deep stretch, just any kind of movement that feels good to reset. And then start to feel the body coming into stillness, allowing the spine to lengthen, creating some space, feeling the shoulders relax down your back, the jaw at ease and the top of your head effortlessly reaching up. If it's available, maybe start to soften and then close your eyes. Take a deep, full breath in through your nose and then open your mouth. Exhale. Release the breath out. Deep breath in through your nose. Open the mouth, exhale. Deep breath in the nose, really expand the body. And open mouth, exhale. Let it all go. Take a pause here just for a moment to feel the stillness, the quiet, and more awareness in your entire being. And then as you're ready, start to come back into the space that you are in. Hello again. I again. I'm so, so excited and overjoyed to be sharing this podcast of self-remembrance. And if you do not know me, let me take a moment to introduce myself. My name is Meg, and I recently have moved out of San Diego, California with my partner and our adorable dog Nala. And I am an artist, I am a designer. But most of all, I am somebody who is deeply invested in the practices of yoga and meditation. So over the last eight years, I have been a student of yoga and have been learning about these practices in many different ways, a lot of different philosophies, a lot of different schools of yoga, and I've also been a teacher of this practice for about five years now. So my journey and my relationship with yoga is not really something that just exists on my mat or when I'm in the studio, but really it's something I try to embody in every moment of every day. And as I've been a part of this community, as I've been a part of this practice for many years now, Um, Something that I have noticed and have not experienced myself is somebody offering yoga and meditation specifically for people with chronic illness, and I'm somebody with chronic illness, and luckily I have found ways to use this practice to take care of myself in all the ways I need to, but I realized after talking to a lot of friends, a lot of students, a lot of other people who have mental, physical, or emotional chronic illness, that there just isn't anything out there that is tailored specifically for them. And so that is why I started Self-Remembrance. That is what it is. It exists to guide and to provide accessible practices and relatable practices for people who are living with any type of chronic illness. So over the last few months, I have taken a lot of time to create practices, meditations, movement practices, breath practices, relaxation practices, um, and then posted them on YouTube. And that is something that I will continue to do. Um, But something that I was reflecting on earlier this year in 2020 was that There's only so much we can dive into in a 30 minute meditation or a 20 minute movement practice. And when being diagnosed with a chronic illness, there are a lot of things, a lot of deep emotional things that we can work on together. And so that is why I've created this podcast. It allows me and us as a community to have a deeper conversation about the deeper things that happen when you live with chronic illness. So since this is the first episode, I thought the best place to maybe start is the beginning of a chronic illness journey, diagnosis. And not only because this is the beginning of the podcast and diagnosis is the beginning of a chronic illness journey, but also um, a few weeks ago, I had an experience where some of my memories of being diagnosed came up and it is something that I am working on in my personal practice and I have thought maybe it would be helpful for other people to know about how we can consciously process our diagnosis in a healthy and healing way. So before we jump into that, I thought it might be helpful, it might be insightful to hear about my diagnosis story. I hope that as I tell it, you can maybe see yourself in it, that you can maybe relate and not feel so alone I know that whenever I hear somebody else's story, there's always a part of it that resonates with me and that just helps me on my journey and knowing that I'm not doing this by myself and there are people out there who can relate to what is happening or what has happened in the past on my journey of chronic illness. So to jump in to where it all started... Eight years ago, I was attending the Maryland Institute College of Arts, which is a wonderful but very rigorous art school in Baltimore, Maryland, and I was having so much fun. I was living with some of my best friends. I was spending all of my time in the studio creating my work. I was learning, I was exploring, and it was just an amazing time. And then one day, I noticed very randomly that my left eye was a little more blurry than my right eye. And my first thought was, ah, that's so annoying. I'm going to have to get like a contact for one of my eyes. Only one of my eyes is not working as well as the other one. You know, what am I going to do? And I kind of just brushed it off after that and I didn't think much of it. And then two days later, I could not see at all out of my left eye. It was completely black as if my eye were shut. And it was absolutely terrifying because it not only was completely dark in my left eye when both eyes were open, but it also hurt. It was painful. There was this like dull ache that was happening in the back of my eye. So luckily, my mom lived very close to the city, and she immediately came in and we made some doctor's appointments. My first doctor's appointment was extremely disappointing. I went into the office. I was sure there was going to be some explanation to what was happening, and the doctor was not helpful at all. It was extremely discouraging. He looked at me and he said, well, your eye, I done an exam. It's perfectly healthy. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing that I can see. So there is nothing I can really do to help you. And I just had this look of defeat on my face. And I just was like, I mean, I'm an artist. I, I need my eyes. I need to be able to see in order to do my work. And he just said, well, we all need to see in order to do everything we do. And I just felt so not supported, so not heard. And we left the office and just continued on our journey of going to another doctor. Still no answers. Another doctor. Still no answers. And then finally, we were recommended to go to an ophthalmologist. And he did a very thorough eye exam. So he had me cover up my left eye. And I read all the letters down the line, on my right eye. And then he had me cover my right eye. And as he said, okay, now take a look and read me the lines. I said, I cannot see anything at all. It is completely black. I can't see. And finally, I felt heard by somebody because he said, okay, this is much deeper than just the health of your eye because the health of your eye looks great, but I think there's something deeper going on here, and I think it's neurological. So he connected us to a neurologist who then ordered an MRI on my brain in order to see maybe what was happening neurologically. A few days later, I have the MRI. It's a very extensive procedure of taking a lot of pictures, lying very still in a very small space, Um, but I did it, and we ended up getting the results a few days later. We were called into the neurologist's office, and as I was waiting there for the results, still wasn't able to see anything, still had pain in the back of my eye, both of my parents sitting there worried, stressed, the doctor came in and he had just such a presence of being calm and positive and overall just good energy. So he sat down and he said, so we have the results from your MRI and it looks like you have a few different lesions spots on your brain. Lesions are spaces of deterioration of the brain that can be caused by multiple sclerosis. So, since this is your first episode, it's unclear if this is actually MS or if this is something else. So, he could tell that I was confused and I was a little worried. And so, he immediately said, Look, you have a lot going for you. You're very young. And so if this is MS, we caught it very early and it's very treatable. And plus, you take very good care of yourself. So, Because of his attitude and his positive way of being and kind of lack of diagnosis or definitive diagnosis, I felt really good about it. I was like, okay, well, we have some answers kind of, but it, it might not be as bad as we think it might be. So in that moment, I truly thought everything is going to be okay. That I might have MS, but it's not for sure. And it's treatable. I'm healthy. I felt really good. And I didn't really feel this sense of doom and gloom at all that I'm sure a lot of us feel when we're initially diagnosed. I think a part of me also was just in denial that all of this was even happening. So in order to get my eye healthy, he recommended that I go on a very strong dose of IV steroid treatment. And so that's what we did. And the next few days after that, I had a nurse come in and an IV line put in my arm that was portable and that I would attach a steroid pouch to every day in order to help clear up whatever was happening around my eye. The IV steroid treatment was the first experience I've ever had with a very intense drug. So, there were a lot of side effects and they affected me not just physically, but emotionally and mentally as well. I was really happy after a few weeks. My eye went back to being completely healthy and I could see, and there was no more pain. And because we were trying to see, Whether it was MS and not anything else, I was not put on any kind of medication to help with whatever was happening to my body. I kept living my life as I normally would, going to class, working in my studio, going out with my friends, having a good time, and really just ignoring what had just happened to my body. So it's no surprise that a few weeks, maybe a few months later, I had a second episode where almost the entire left side of my body was starting to go numb. Like that tingly sensation you get when your arm starts to fall asleep or your hand starts to fall asleep, except it was on most of the left side of my body. So we went back into the neurologist's office And he said, since you are experiencing your second symptom, and we know that there are lesions on the brain, I'm going to give you an official diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. You have what is called relapsing remitting MS. And so you will live in a state of relapse, or you'll live in a state of remission, depending on what is happening and how The illness is reacting to your body and your life experience. So in that moment of a definitive diagnosis, it all really hit me. I think all of the grief that I was holding off from experiencing after my first visit with him all started to hit in that moment and in the following weeks following months and following years. So in this time of being diagnosed, and of course you're diagnosed in just one moment in a doctor visit, but the reality of a diagnosis hits you in very random spaces in life. The weight of the diagnosis hits you at any given time. I remember feeling deep sorrow, anger, wishing that I could go back to how my life was. I remember hating my body. I remember not understanding at all what was going on. I remember being so frustrated at not having answers. I was so tired of not being guided. I didn't like how I had such lack of support in understanding what was happening to me that it was really up to me to figure it out. I remember being so angry that my friends could treat their bodies however they wanted to and they would still be and always will be healthier than me. I remember thinking how unfair it was. I'm so young. I've always taken such good care of myself and This has happened. I remember my entire world shattering. I remember not being able to really see myself when I looked in the mirror. I remember feeling completely out of control. However, in the midst of all of this depression, anxiety, self-hate, unworthiness, I had so much love and support from my family and my friends, my community, my art, and then finally, yoga. So before I dove into sharing my story, I just want to say thank you for listening and holding space for it. I mentioned that a few weeks ago, all of this trauma came up for me. It happened when I was at a poetry reading and the author was up on stage and she had read one of her poems and it was about feeling despair, sorrow. And in that moment that I was sitting in my seat in the theater watching her perform, I was also sitting on my bed Baltimore, Maryland, 19 years old, feeling the weight of not knowing what my life was going to be like if I could live, like truly live, even with having a debilitating, incurable chronic illness. So, as I felt that, of course. Tears just start streaming down my face uncontrollably. I'm hit with all of the feelings, all of the thoughts that I had experienced eight years ago, all in just one moment, triggered by somebody else's beautiful words. That evening, I continued to feel the deep sorrow and live in what had happened the next day also felt heavy. I stayed in my bed and just cried. And I thought to myself, even after all of this time, how can there still be processing I have to do about my journey in being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis? All of this time that I've spent in teacher trainings, meditations yoga classes, in my personal practice, how could I have not processed this already? What this practice has taught me is that all of our life experiences live in our bodies. And they live in parts of our mind that are hidden. And if we don't take the time to consciously process very traumatic life experiences. They will come up at any point in any time. So the last few weeks I have been diving into and investigating how we can consciously process diagnosis and I have come up with these five truths and guiding principles. Number one, we can acknowledge and hold space. For that time in our lives, acknowledge, because in the time of diagnosis, there are so many things happening in the physical body that we are experiencing and feeling. And then we are trying to mentally understand what is happening, but also what does it mean? How will life be after that? And then emotionally, we are just trying to cope with the deep sadness, anger, any of the emotions of grief. So when we experience such an intense time in our life, there's only so much that we can physically, mentally, and emotionally handle at one time. So a lot of times things get missed, that we're actually experiencing it, but we're not, but we're not fully conscious for it. We don't actually see or fully maybe feel or even think about what is currently happening. So taking the time to acknowledge all of the things that occurred during this time in life and then holding space for them. So this can be done in a meditation practice, in a physical yoga practice, and when we hold space for things, we are sitting in a, a space of the neutral mind. So we're trying not to attach ourselves so closely to the things that had happened that we start to identify with them. And we also don't back so far away that we don't feel any connection at all. Rather, we just sit and we look and see. We become an observer and we hold space with this deep love and understanding. So, number one, is to acknowledge and hold space for that time in life. Because at that time in life, you were doing the best that you could with the tools that you have. And the grieving process is not linear. And so, there might be some thoughts of, I wish I did that. Or I wish I responded this way instead of that way. I wish I took care of myself in this way. I know that I've been there and I've thought those things. But again, in that time in our life, we did the best we could with the tools that we did have at that time. But now, with even more tools under our belt, we can acknowledge and hold space for them in order for them to heal. So that's number one. Number two is that we cannot process our diagnosis at one time. We cannot do it all at once. It is such a complex experience that one meditation session or one yoga session is not going to heal the entire experience of our diagnosis. There's so much happening at that time in our life, and if we even tried to heal or see or process what was happening in that time, we would just get overwhelmed, and our mind and our body would just shut off. So that leads me to number three, is that whatever we do need to process, these experiences will come up naturally. So very similar to what I was talking about in my own experience of being at a poetry reading and all of this stuff came up, for whatever reason, I was supposed to process and experience that in that given moment. So whatever does come up naturally, the practices of yoga and meditation help us tune into our own intuition. And These practices help guide us to take care of ourselves in the ways that we need to when we are experiencing and reliving some of the trauma that happens when diagnosed with a chronic illness. Because when things do come up naturally and out of nowhere, it's just as overwhelming as it was in the moment that it happened. All of the emotions, all of the thoughts that were happening in the past experience can be experience just as strongly in a present moment. So that leads me to number four, that when we do start to consciously process these experiences, when they start to naturally come up for us, and when we do experience the deep grief and the deep emotions that come with this, when we do look at these things, when we acknowledge and hold space for them, we can't get stuck. The weight of these experiences cannot bury us, and it's really easy for them to. because again, all of our life experiences live in our body. We can identify with them so closely because it makes up who we are, especially when we are experiencing depression, anxiety, all of these emotions that are just really heavy. It's really easy to get stuck. But when we allow ourselves, even just for a moment, to be guided by these practices, their wisdom helps us see what was happening at that time in our life, but they also allow us to release all of these things that are no longer serving us in our current and present state. So when we do decide to consciously process and look at experiences that we had during our time of diagnosis Not allowing the weight of them to hold us down. Allowing ourselves, of course, the time and space we need to to fully feel them. Not pushing them away. Looking at them. But at a certain point, allowing the practices to guide us. Guiding us in holding space for them. But also releasing them. And not just holding and then releasing them. But that leads me to number five that we also hold gratitude for the experience and all of the details in it. And this, of course, is the hardest one. But what I've realized in my own journey of consciously processing my diagnosis is that in the time of diagnosis, a lot of seeds of wisdom are planted. They're planted without us knowing they're being planted. And our journey in our chronic illness allows us to uncover them. And as we start to uncover these seeds, it is our choice of how we are going to nurture them. And I believe that it's these deep and powerful practices of yoga and meditation that allow us to consciously uncover the seeds, know that they are planted there for a reason, nurture them with as much love and care as we can, and then watch them grow and expand into our life in ways that we would have never expected. That even living with a chronic illness, we can live as radiantly as we want to. But as long as we listen These seeds of wisdom that are planted in our diagnosis, and this is different for all of us. All of these seeds are lessons we are supposed to learn as we live this life. That living with a lifelong diagnosis is an extremely tragic thing, but I've also come to realize it is the most beautiful thing that has ever happened to me because if I were not diagnosed I truly do not think I would be as connected to my mind, my body, and my spirit as I currently am right now that this diagnosis of my physical body has created a space of deep listening so that I truly know Who I am. And that's the journey of life, after all, isn't it? Aren't we just wanting to know and understand who we truly are? What is the real essence of our being? That it's not so much doing, but it's really being. And if we're able to be radiant, despite all the challenges, the obstacles, the things, the traumatic experiences we have, if we can live radiantly isn't that isn't that it being diagnosed provides us a moment to decide at any point on our journey if we want to truly and undeniably love and know ourselves in the moment that we are diagnosed it's a moment of being reborn So those are the five truths I have uncovered over the last few weeks of processing my own diagnosis and knowing that I will always be processing my diagnosis. We always will be, but there's security in knowing that there are tools and that there are resources out there in order for us to do this in a way that is healing and that will uplift us. And so knowing that self-remembrance is one of those spaces. Self remembrance is a space for all people who are wanting to consciously live with their chronic illness, guided by these profound and beautiful practices of yoga and meditation. So, I hope at some point during this podcast episode, something resonated with you, that you feel like someone out there can relate, that you're not alone. Because as we come together as a community to process, understand, and use the experiences of our diagnosis and our chronic illness, we can truly feel empowered to live a radiant life. You may be wondering right now, where do I start? How do I start to process my diagnosis consciously? And I would say it kind of depends where you are in your yogic journey. So if you are newer to the practices of yoga and meditation, then I would say you're in a great spot because the Self-Remembrance YouTube channel is full of different practices that are specifically for living with chronic illness. So I would take some time to go and do those practices, get familiar with different meditations, different movement practices, different relaxation practices. And as you start to get more familiar with the practices, you start to build a language of listening to your body and as you start to develop this language and you start to really listen to what the body needs in order to be taken care of then we start to go deeper into the practice so as the physical work starts to happen it starts to slowly translate into mental and emotional work as well so that as you are in physical yoga practice and your body is being taken care of your mind will also start to be taken care of and in turn your heart your emotional body starts to be taken care of at that point then as you've taken some time to really investigate the practices and get to know your body your mind your heart which of course will always be a journey at that point, you might be ready for the next step. So, the next step um, is also for those of us who have been in a committed practice for a length of time where we feel comfortable and at ease in any type of yoga or meditation practice. This practice I am going to be posting on the YouTube channel the third Sunday in February. So this practice is not going to be like the typical practice on self-remembrance YouTube channel. It'll be much longer than a 20 or 30 minute practice. It'll actually be more like a ceremonial practice. So it's going to provide an opportunity for you to really create space for yourself. So I would recommend doing this practice when you have some time to be alone when you don't have to rush out the door to do anything or you can really take a few hours to be with yourself. In this practice, you are going to be creating a space that is comfortable, sacred, and safe. So doing this by setting the room up so that it feels warm, it feels inviting, And it feels healing. So, I'd recommend some candles, some soft lighting, setting up your mat in front of an altar space, maybe having some plants or fresh flowers. Maybe you have a diffuser in your house using some essential oils, really setting up this space in order for you to practice in. There will be some writing in this guided practice. There will be some guided meditation, some guided movement, so it'll be a lot of different things, but it is a practice that will take a little bit of time, and I recommend that when you do this practice, you give yourself the rest of the day to fully absorb it and take the time that you need to be still, take care of yourself, Love on yourself, nurture yourself, because this type of practice is very deep work. So it's not so much a feel good, go to an hour long yoga class and you walk out and go get a smoothie and hang out with some friends. It's really a space you're creating for yourself that, again, we know is necessary in order to heal and learn from our diagnosis, but it is hard work knowing that you also may feel energetically the day after the effects of this work. So when we do feel the effects of this work, knowing that there are plenty of other, again, meditations are a little bit lighter that will lift your spirits, that will bring you back into a space of neutrality. So again, knowing that This is work that I have done personally, so if you decide to do this ceremonial practice of consciously processing your diagnosis, I am always here as a resource to talk to and reach out to if you need anything, even if you just need space for me to listen and to provide any guidance that you might be needing. I found that after I did this practice, I felt tremendously lighter in the days after. And I felt like emotionally I was 10 pounds lighter, but I was also 20 pounds heavier in the wisdom that came out of the practice. That taking the time to really investigate acknowledge hold space practice listen love what was coming up in the ceremonial practice i learned so many things that i will now take with me on this journey of continuing to live with chronic illness so i encourage you even if you feel hesitant to do it it's an amazing thing and this practice And the wisdom of these practices will always hold you in love. That even if it is challenging, it is hard to do, you are doing it from a space of deep love and a desire to truly know the essence of your being and the seeds that are planted as lessons for this life journey. So I hope you enjoy and please let me know what you think when you complete those practices. And with that, I will guide us to take one more deep breath in and out. So pause for a moment wherever you are and inhale through your nose and exhale out through your mouth. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next time. mission is to uplift the chronic illness community in order to create connection and remembrance to the mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much to Terry Griffin for the incredible music at the beginning and end of this episode, and thank you to this amazing community. For more tools and resources, be sure to head over to self-remembrance.com as well as following us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribing to the YouTube channel to receive updates on yoga and meditation practices. Until next time, thanks y'all.